May 8th, 2019. Thank you all again for joining me here on the That's What G Said podcast. Whew, lots to talk about, lots to digest in the uh, in the world, particularly the, the world of sports right now, entertainment, right? Over the weekend, big controversial uh, disqualification in the Kentucky Derby. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. We'll do a quick hitter on the NBA playoffs. Uh, a little deep dive in on the Dodgers, catch up on... Uh, their recent success now, winning five of their last six games after a sweep of Atlanta. And then, yeah, we'll hit that Kentucky Derby drama. Game of Thrones. We'll talk a little Game of Thrones. So, again, thanks all for joining us. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Spreaker, YouTube. Go subscribe to my channel on YouTube and you can get the anytime I'll have a video uh, out or... Um, any type of podcast, it actually will uh, will give it to you right on YouTube also. So subscribe to all of those if you can. Hope everybody had a, a nice weekend, made a little money, and nice into the uh, the start of your week. For me, let's see, what did I do? I hit up the Queen Mary brunch. Was uh, there with my girlfriend, met her dad for the first time. So knock on wood, hopefully I did well in that department. But if you haven't ever been to the Queen Mary brunch, wow, unbelievable. Um for as far as like breakfast food is concerned, anything you can imagine, waffle bar, pancake, waffle pancake bar, omelet station, they'll make you whatever, um, all the kind of breakfast meats you want, bacon, sausage, hams, uh, potatoes, hash browns, bread all over. And then they also have, you know, lunch and dinner type stuff and uh, mimosas. And so who Queen Mary brunch for a nice occasion check that out and then you know you can cruise uh you can walk around the queen mary look at some things while you're over there it's a, a nice little day nice little experience some unfortunate news my buddy my my dog Rolly, my big boxer he's been just a little off as of late he's been panting a little bit more than normal I mean, he's getting a little older now he's 13 years old obviously and then for a boxer that's that's old um and he's big he's had a lot of feet um like sensitive he has sensitive skin and his feet have he's been really sensitive so the last like couple years it's just been harder to for him to go on long type walks or like exercise as much as he used to and recently he's been breathing a little more when it gets warmer too he starts to get a little um a little overheated so he's had a foot issue we took him to the groomers about six weeks ago when we came back he like jumped down off uh in the car when we were getting when we pulled back in and he like pulled a muscle bad in his leg and he was limping around for a while uh we had him checked out but it was just a muscle so you know we had medicine for him there really wasn't too much they could do till it healed and it's actually healed pretty well but then he gets a lot of these skin tags which um you know they said they're they're common in a lot of different um different kinds of dogs but he gets a lot of them and Sometimes they'll, you know, scratch at them and then they'll cut open. And so in particular, there's been one that's been really bad that we just couldn't get a handle on. So we took him in to figure out that. And uh, they, we know, we talked about his breathing stuff. So they did some work and they found that they had, there were a few masses in his chest um, that they think might be cancerous. So we have to go get him a scan now. Um, And what... Uh, unfortunately, you know, he's bigger. And so it's difficult when he's in the car to get him around long, long, um, 
periods of time. He just doesn't really love the car anymore. I think when he he gets in it, he knows he's usually going to the vet or somewhere else. And he gets it's just it's tough to deal with him in there. He gets really worked up uh, about the car ride, and those are things that aren't good for him. So there were a couple places we were going to try to go. Um, one of them in Glendale, but that's just the play the machine is broken till june and we're gonna do a different place there they gave us a couple other recommendations places like in hollywood and culver city this is a little far from where we are in temple city so we have an appointment scheduled with a place in pasadena actually that has a mobile one that comes only thing that stinks is we couldn't get an appointment the quickest appointment was Tuesday, next Tuesday, a couple Tuesdays from now. So I let them know, please, if anybody cancels, uh, if anyone, if there's any way we could get in there quickly, please let us know. So anyone out there, uh, positive thoughts. If you have a dog, this was really, we never had dogs growing up. So uh, I've pretty much been with Rolly for the last nine years now. Um, and these, this was like my first experience ever with dogs with Rolly and uh, my Boston Terrier bug. So he's, he's a tough guy. He's been through a lot. He had eye ulcers last year, but before that he's been, been like pretty healthy. And, you know, I mentioned the, the skin stuff as he's gotten a little older, his feet have been sensitive, but, um, just the last few years, you know, you get older, things start, things start to happen and, uh, still eats great, moves around, jumps up on the bed, jumps up on the couch. So he's doing well. He's happy. We just gonna, uh, find a, gotta find the best way to, uh, to help keep him as comfortable as possible. So positive thoughts and prayers for all of you dog lovers out there and uh, dog owners uh, and animal lovers. Uh, uh, think positive for my buddy. Let's see, what else did we do this week uh, weekend? Oh, a couple shows or things that I'm going to talk about coming up. So go watch them. And then when I, when I have the podcast, you'll be ready to, to listen. Cobra Kai, if you haven't seen the Cobra Kai series on YouTube, really check it out. It is awesome. If you, you can sign up for, you know, just a month and watch the series, I'm sure, um, they're quick episodes. Um, and they're fun. If you like karate kid, go check out Cobra Kai. Now there's two seasons. I just finished second, uh, season two. So we'll talk a little bit about really the first two seasons and, uh, and what I liked. And then Avengers, I have not seen Avengers, uh, end game yet, but I'm going to go see it. I wanted to wait a few weeks to give everybody a little bit of an opportunity to see it before I talked about anything. Didn't want to spoil that. So, uh, go watch Avengers or if you've seen Avengers and you've been waiting uh, to talk about it or interact, I will be ready to talk about that one with you soon. Also checked out the movie called Extremely Wicked and Shockingly Evil on Netflix. It's a Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy. You know, to be honest, Zac does a really good job. It's it's just hard to, to look at it and not quite see Zac Efron playing Ted Bundy. There are a couple scenes in particular. Um, the one scene where he get they bring him out publicly to read his indictment, and it's just like a circus. He's kind of walking around uh, the district attorney, and he's like, it's almost like he's a comedian doing stand up, and he's responding to everything he's saying. That scene is almost spot on to the footage of the scene from uh, the scene and the footage that I've seen of Ted Bundy doing that, and then some of the courtroom scenes. I thought. Uh, Zach did a really good job portraying Bundy, um, and then Malkovich shows up. He's the uh, the judge Sheldon from uh, Big Bang Theory. He is the uh, opposing counsel. Um, it's interesting, you know. It's there's just a lot of the Ted Bundy stuff out there right now. I enjoy it. Something to put on in the background and watch. Takes a little bit of a different perspective. It's not necessarily like as like a standalone movie. It doesn't really have a plot and follows. It's more of just like 
um, takes it from the perspective of his wife or his first girlfriend wife. Um, I don't think he ended up actually marrying her. Uh, and, um, and it's, it just kind of jumps around. There are good parts to it though. And I'm, I'm interested in this kind of stuff, but it's not like a, a, a great like, epic. Then it goes from her perspective, kind of to his perspective and back and forth. Um, what else I've been watching sons of anarchy. I started that, uh, on some recommendations from people. It's been good. Uh, I also have Mindy project that I'm, uh, getting through. And then I started the new one on Netflix called dead to me. I've only seen a few episodes of that so far with Christina Applegate and, uh, Linda Cardellini like them both, uh, quite a bit though. So I'll, I'll keep up on those and I'll keep updating you as to, uh, which ones of those I like may the 8th. 2019, actually going to be May the 9th when most of you listen to this, but for the Almost Day segment, it's it's May the 8th. Back in 1541, Hernando de Soto discovered the Mississippi River, the second longest river in North America. It drains um, through parts of 32 U.S. states and two Canadian provinces. It's actually the fourth longest river in the world by discharge, and it borders or passes through 10 states. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana. Mississippi means the Great River. 1792, the U.S. established the military draft. All free, able-bodied males between 18 and 45 had to uh, report. 1835, the first installment of Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales was published. He is the author of over 3,381 fairy tales that have been translated into more than 125 languages. A lot of times, lessons of virtue, resilience in the face of adversity. We know a lot of these fairy tales and stories, The Emperor's New Clothes, The Little Mermaid, Out of the Sea, Wish I Could Be Part of Your World. Let's see, uh... The Nightingale, The Snow Queen, The Ugly Duckling, The Little Match Girl, Thumbelina, The Princess, and The Pea. Many popular stories that we know of from Hans Christian Andersen. In 1861, Richmond, Virginia was named the capital of the Confederacy. In 1877, the Westminster Dog Show was held for the first time in Manhattan. This is the second longest continuously held sporting event in the United States behind only the Kentucky Derby. And I still have a bitter place in my heart. For the the Westminster Dog Show Because this was one of the only times ever That I would not get to watch Monday Night Raw When this was on the USA Network It would bump Monday Night Raw And if you're a wrestling fan you know One of the things I love about wrestling is There's no off season There's no new episode season premiere Every week is a new episode Every week is completely different There's no reruns So I didn't get to get my, I didn't get to get my fix in on my Monday Night Raw because of the Westminster Dog Show many times, but second longest continuously held sporting event. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known that off the top of my head unless I had to look that up. 1878, the first unassisted triple play in Major League Baseball history by Paul Hines. There have been only 15 documented in MLB history. It's actually more rare than a perfect game. Really, really interesting. Very rarely see that unassisted triple play. The first patent filed for a gasoline-driven automobile in 1879. 1876, the first Coca-Cola ever was sold at Jacob's Pharmacy. And it was billed as a versatile drug that could cure all nervous afflictions. Sick headache, neuralgia, hysteria, melancholy. Urban legend that 
it actually contained some cocaine for the first few years. Little amounts of cocaine in the first bits of Coca-Cola. Urban legend, though. Hasn't been confirmed. In 1912, Paramount Pictures is founded. Take a listen to some of the movies that Paramount Pictures has been involved with. All-time greats, big franchises, movies that they've been involved in co-production with, full production, some sort of post-production, um, Titanic, Transformers, Shrek, all the Transformers, or most of the Transformers, the Shreks, Mission Impossible series, Forrest Gump, Saving Private Ryan, Indiana Jones movies, Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Thor, Captain America, Grease, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star Trek series, American Beauty, Catch Me If You Can, Fatal Attraction, Beverly Hills Cop, The Godfather movies, Friday the 13th movies, Airplanes, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Naked Gun, and then some horse racing fans, Let It Ride, Wayne's World, Tommy Boy, some cult classics there. So Paramount Pictures has been responsible for many, many hours of entertainment for many of us out there, founded on this day in 1912. In 1970, the Beatles released the album Let It Be. It was their final studio album released. It was a month after they broke up. Songs on that album included Let It Be and Across the Universe. In in 1984, Kirby Puckett debuted. And he had four singles in his debut. In 2018, on this day, James Paxton threw a no-hitter. Paxton now pitching for the Yanks. On this day, May 8th. Quick hitters on some of the NBA playoffs. Right now, the big news after the Warriors game. uh, Warriors defeated the Rockets. Now um, Golden State is up three games to two. But Kevin Durant has suffered an injury, and we really don't have very much information on it quite yet. They're saying it's a calf strain or an Achilles injury. It actually reminded me a lot of what happened to Kobe because he made a shot he turned around to, to run back down the court and to play defense, and he took a few steps, and he looked back almost like somebody kicked him in the back of the leg, but nobody was around him. It was like a sharp pain that like hit him out of nowhere and forced him to look back and look down like he got hit, and then he was walking very gingerly and having a tough time getting off the court. That looked a lot like what happened to Kobe, uh, but they have said they think a calf strain, they're going to have an MRI on Thursday. Um, and we'll should know more about Kevin Durant as you know, if, if Durant wasn't around, that would make things a little interesting. The Warriors actually historically have done well, even when Durant has been hurt and missed the last couple seasons. But right now, he's really been carrying the team. They were struggling. Uh, Curry started to heat up a little bit tonight, and so did Clay. And so, perhaps with a little more responsibility needed, Draymond was very good distributing the ball. It's not like they don't have Durant, they're done. You know, this is a team that's still loaded, but they're not a deep team. You know, with the Demarcus Cousins injury, they don't have a deep bench, so they would really need their top tier guys. They need to get a little more from Iguodala, maybe something from Livingston. They were getting good contributions from uh, Looney tonight, also. Kerr in the post game, Kerr dropped an f bomb. He says our guys were effing giants, but he did not say effing, and you don't hear Kerr say that too much, but. Yeah, he was quoting uh, one of the coaches from a, a soccer game earlier and he said, sorry, mom, a couple times, but he dropped the F-bomb. So the Warriors now up three games to two. They are heading back to Houston. 
They're going to go on, the, or they're heading to Houston now. Houston heading home to try to tie the series 3 3. The Bucks just destroyed the Boston Celtics. And unfortunately, I can't even really celebrate that much in the Celtics' demise because of the, the bad news with the Lakers today. I'll get to that in just a, a second. Boston wins game one, and then the Bucks just come back and destroy them in the next four games. What What's up with Kyrie now, right? And this could be a, a big uh, offseason for the Celtics with Kyrie. Is he going somewhere else? It sure doesn't feel like he's staying in Boston, right? What do you think Boston fans? Do you want Kyrie around? Is he staying around? How do you feel? Uh, is he going to go somewhere to the Knicks, the Lakers, you know, the Knicks with Durant has been rumored. The Lakers back with Durant, uh, LeBron has been rumored, but who knows what's going on with the Lakers right now. Al Horford has a $30 million player option. Is he going to opt in or is he going to look for a, a longer deal somewhere where he can maybe get a, a few years I mean, as a Laker fan, I would love Al Horford. He's a great, he's a perfect center right now. He's very versatile. He gives your team options. He can shoot the three. He plays very good defense. He doesn't really need the ball. He does a little bit of everything for you. And uh, I would, I would love Horford, but I, you know, maybe three, three years for Horford. I don't know if I want to go four or five for him. He's getting uh getting some tread on the uh, on the tires already. Getting a, a little older. So now we have the Bucks. They're hanging out and they're waiting to meet the winner of Toronto Philly and Philly. We just have seen Embiid struggling. He's hurt because he missed so many games towards the end of the season. He's out of shape and he's just a little bit off and they need a lot um, from Embiid in the series because Kawhi has just been incredible. And we're, we're seeing how, how difficult it is for a player that can't shoot in the NBA. And I don't mean someone who is a bad shooter, I mean, someone who's a reluctant shooter and who literally does not want that to become part of your game. If you're someone who shoots 30% and you're a bad shooter, you at least will stretch the court sometimes when you take those shots and you make people sort of guard you. But but that's just not the case at all with Ben Simmons. And he kind of makes that team a little bit difficult because they don't have a, they have obviously Redick there, but they don't have a ton of shooters in Philly. And uh, isn't it amazing how just two games, the narrative will shift just a couple of games ago. It looked like Philly had taking that series uh, and taking all the momentum in that series. But now Toronto up 3-2 going to Philly. So Philly's going home. They got to try to tie this up. And the same thing for Portland. Really surprised that Denver, after that long four-overtime game, Denver was able to come back and win a couple games. They won big the other night. They're up three games to two going to Portland. And Portland, you know what you're going to get from Lillard. You need... Big contributions from McCollum and from Cantor because they just don't get enough elsewhere. Um, you know, Nurkic not being around really hurt them. That would uh, that would give their team so much more depth and really strengthen them. Give them a little more scoring, a little more uh, playmaking to outside of uh, the guards in particular. Because everything for them has to be initiated from the perimeter, and they have. Cantor, who's actually very good offensively, and he's rebounding the heck out of the ball, but he's banged up as as most are, and we're seeing Jokic, the Joker, just take the next step. And I've been I've been down on Denver all year, so I'll, if they make it to the Western Conference Finals, I'll be the first to uh, to admit I was wrong in them. I picked against them in round one, and you know they really could have very easily lost that series to the Spurs, and I picked against them. In this series, and I would also pick against them again. Um, but they've been, they've done exactly what they've needed to do. You know, that's what in the playoffs you you don't have to be great every night. You just have to bounce back from the bad games, and you can't put two bad games together. Denver's done a really good job of bouncing back every time they've thrown in kind of a clunker, and 
Jokic has just been so steady and so consistent. When you have a superstar that's going to give you that steadiness, that consistency, then you know what you're going to get. It really makes it easier for the other guys on the team because there's the other role players and you know your your second and your third you know scores and your your stars because they know that they uh, there's not as much pressure on them, right? When you know what you're going to get from your uh, your your number one. So yeah, the Bucks are waiting around to play Toronto or Philly, and Denver's up three two, and the Warriors are up three two. So the one and the two seeds up um, in uh, in both number one seed, the Bucks win, the two seed Toronto's up, and then the Warriors and the the Denver and the, the Denver Nuggets the one and the two seeds both up respectively with the Lakers. You know, I've been I've been pretty. Level headed as a fan with the Lakers the last five years because I understand that it's in sports, it's ebbs and flows, positives and negatives, ups and downs, right? You're going to have really good years, you're going to have bad years, and you're going to have runs. And the Lakers had a really, really, really good run basically since Dr. Jerry Buss started owning the team. And then, really, as he unfortunately passed away, the team has has really struggled under the ownership of the bus children, and you know at first it was a gym, and now Jeannie took over. And I, I will say that up until you know this year, and uh, what happened really with kind of with Magic coming in, and with with how they've been handling things as of late, there were some some bad luck. Things with the Lakers, right? I mean, they they made the trade for Chris Paul that got reneged. Why why did that get taken away? Uh, what what happened? Why? I mean, you know, that was that was something that'll go down as an all time head scratcher. Um, and they made moves that were that were the right moves. They got rid of Bynum when he didn't have a whole lot left, and they got Dwight Howard out of that. Not keeping Dwight Howard actually proved to be a move that you know he hasn't done a whole lot. Since leaving the Lakers, he hasn't really done a whole lot really since leaving Orlando, to be honest. Um, and it, even you know Mike D'Antoni as a coach, they there's been things that they've done that weren't necessarily the wrong moves. They went out and got Nash when the Chris Paul didn't work; he got hurt. Um, they've been a little unlucky after years of being lucky, but now it just seems like it's it's starting to be incompetence. And as a fan, it's been a little frustrating because even this year. The way the team was built, I wasn't against them because they were they were a team that would have been in the playoffs and they were a solid team when they were healthy. They were banged up. They LeBron had this first real major injury of his career and all the young guys missed, all the key players missed. It seemed like as soon as everyone was playing their best, they got injured. And it was frustrating, but it happens in sports and when your best players are all just missing games, there's, there's nothing you can do about it. But the, the magic stepping down the the way that they've maybe handled some of the trade and the trade negotiations this year, trading Zubak for not much, um, not uh, the way that there was things were handled with with Luke kind of all throughout the year, passive aggressive, um, you know, Genie recently too has not said a whole lot. Now we're hearing that the Rambises, both Kurt and his wife, have major say in what's going on. His wife is a very good friend of Jeannie. I like Kurt. I think he's a good man to have on your staff as a, an assistant. But every time he's been a major person in a major place of power, whether it be an executive or a coach, it has not fared very well. I think he's he's better off as an assistant and as a member of your staff and not someone who you're going to for major advice. 
And it looked like they had Ty Lue all locked up as their next head coach. Ty Lue, who had experience with LeBron, who has won a championship with LeBron, who is a former Laker, which they like, who had been willing to bring in very good assistant coaches that would help his staff. He was talking about as like Frank Vogel and Tom Thibodeau, defensive-minded coaches, because he knew that they would be able to compliment him very well. And we saw Ty Lue take a picture with a Lakers birthday cake just a few days ago. I mean, this deal was all but done. It was all but done. And now it fell through. The Lakers apparently wouldn't pay him as much as he wanted. He wanted a five-year deal. The Lakers were only willing to give him a three-year deal to match up with LeBron. He felt offended as... They only thought he was a LeBron coach And he, he wasn't a coach of the rest of the team And um, There was also an issue that I, I hope this isn't true that the Lakers Were trying to push Jason Kidd On him as one of his assistants Jason Kidd who has a terrible reputation In the NBA and was not a very good Coach at all It's one thing if you're a good coach with a bad reputation But you're a bad reputation and you were a bad coach Look how well the Milwaukee Bucks have done Since he has exited They are now in the Eastern Conference Finals And they just Gentlemen swept the Boston Celtics 4-1 to Genie it's, uh, is, is to blame right now And with Palinka, Really the, the head person in charge Genie They need to do something quick Because if not What is LeBron thinking? LeBron had mentioned recently that he came here to to win and he came here after speaking with Magic and on Magic's vision. And now he's here with Rob Polinko, who doesn't know very well. I mean, Jeannie Buss, obviously, he's playing for the Lakers, but if you're LeBron, what are you thinking right now? You know? And it obviously wasn't the greatest year for LeBron, but any team wants LeBron, right? And um it's it's tough right now in Lakerland. This is the 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 lowest I've been even through all of the losing years because we had it felt like there was a little bit more purpose and direction. You knew you were trying to lose to get uh, a pick for um to tank to get a pick to get a player for the future. And right now we're well. Whereas I will say they're not far away. If they were to announce a, a good coach signing. Or they were to say Jerry West or someone's going to come back and run things. I would love to hear that. But I don't have the confidence in them right now with what they've done the last few years. Ever really since Jeannie's been in charge. And it's uh, it's difficult. Sad. A little bit of a bummer for, for the Laker fans. But everyone else out there I know is laughing because you hate the Lakers. So I'm sure more of people listening than that are saying, Gino, ha, ha, ha. Don't worry, folks. We'll be back. Kuzma. B.I., Lonzo, Josh Hart, all going to bounce back. With LeBron, I like right there, that's a good nucleus to start with. You sign one more piece, can we get a Kawhi, Kyrie, Jimmy Butler, um, you know, one of what are those free agents? That'd be excellent. Even if not, maybe... Uh, just some pieces around them, a couple of good veteran shooters, a Redick type, maybe another sharpshooter off the bench. Let's go, Lakers. Let's do this. Let's go from the Lakers to the Dodgers. Now 25 and 14. They just swept the Braves. They've won five of their last six. The Dodgers are now 11 games over 500, much better than last year. 
I think they're nine games better at this point. And the reason why the Dodgers are having some success right now, they're healthy. Kershaw, Bueller, Ryu, Hill, Maeda, all in the rotation. And, you know, they've been been pretty good. Ryu's been incredible. He's been excellent. Kershaw's been very solid. He he was a little bit unlucky, and Justin Turner didn't play great defense on Wednesday evening, and he may have cost Kershaw a couple extra runs. He went into the seventh inning only having allowed two. He ended up allowing four, and he has a 3-1 three, three, ERA so far. Bueller struggled, but he's actually looked better his last couple times out, I think we saw the best outing from him recently against the Braves. And Hill has only pitched a few games. Nice to have him back in the uh, in the rotation. And Maeda, he struggled a little bit, but he's been eating up innings. And what's nice about this is you have Urias and Stripling that have moved back to the bullpen. That makes your bullpen a little bit stronger because that's been the struggle for the Dodgers so far early on. Urias was able to get a save the other night when Kenley was unavailable. Even Kenley... He has a four plus ERA and he's given up four home runs already. He's already given up seven extra base hits and four walks and four stolen bases. So he has not been sharp. The numbers were a little inflated because he gave up a grand slam the other night in a, in a game that we, in the game that the, the Dodgers lost when it was the only game in the two of three that they took from San Diego that they lost. But we've seen Joe Kelly, who has been horrendous, terrible. He had a 10 plus ERA. 15 earned runs in prior to getting a clean inning in the ninth. They were up nine to four and they brought Joe Kelly in for a one, two, three, ninth inning. Hopefully this helps get him a little bit of confidence because every time he's been he's been brought into a high leverage situation, he has been awful. He he alone has lost three or four games for the Dodgers this year. Uh, been really, really bad. Gotta give a mention and a shout out to Dylan Floro. Zero runs in out of the bullpen so far in 16 and a third innings, he has been incredible and a major piece for that bullpen. And then Baez, who has a like a 0.74 whip, becoming one of the, the most steady bullpen pieces and high. You bring Baez in and, and you know against some really really top level right handed hitters and against the heart of the lineup and the top of the lineup repeatedly, he has just become very consistent. So now all of a sudden, with Kershaw back healthy. Hill, back healthy. You have Ryu after missing just a start or two, back healthy. Now you have the bullpen with a couple extra pieces with Urias and Stripling. Now maybe Joe Kelly can get a little momentum after this good outing. Floro's been excellent. You know Kenley's going to get a little bit better. Baez is steady. That's a solid bullpen now. They just have to execute. But as far as your bullpen, those are those are good pieces. Those are good arms. No, I, I love Urias in there and his versatility. Muncie, his last night. Uh, Muncie is nine for his last nineteen with three home runs and eleven RBIs. So offensively, they're having good at bats. But when you look at the Dodgers' numbers, things can still get better. Justin Turner had just one home run in the first month of the season. He's actually had four home runs in his last two games. Now three home runs at a night, and then another one. Uh, so back to back nights where he's hitting home runs. He always heats up after May. You know, Corey Seager is going to get better. He's only had a couple home runs so far, and he he was hitting like 230 coming off the injury. His only improvement likely for him. Pollock is now injured. Not sure what's going to happen with him. Only hitting 223 when he got injured. It was Cody Bellinger who was carrying them early, hitting over 400, 14 home runs, 38 RBIs, uh, the stolen bases, the on-base percentage. And that's really the key 
for the Dodgers. They're a team that has an excellent on-base percentage. They take a lot of pitches. And as of these stats may have changed just slightly in the day or two, but as of just two days ago, they were second in the National League in on-base percentage at 344 as a team. They had the most runs in the National League. They were second in hits, second in home runs, and had 157 walks, which is first in the in the league, 13 more than uh, the the next closest, who was second with the with the second most in walks. They are top five in all of Major League Baseball in runs, hits, home runs, RBIs, and on-base percentage. Great on base percentages from Bellinger, Russell Martin, Freeze, Turner, Verdugo, Muncie, Jock, even Seeger, Kiki, and Barnes, who have struck. Uh, who, if you just look at the numbers, they haven't been incredible. Kiki was was hot early and he struggled. They're still getting on base. Really, it, it's only Taylor and Pollock who struggled to get on base for a while, and Taylor's now starting to heat up with uh, you know, hitting around the the two thirty mark after just a brutal start, getting nice contributions from Jock, who's had. Uh, who had 10 home runs early on, Verdugo, who's become now like an everyday player, and he's really becoming the player that they'd always talked about. He's always been excellent offensively. He's fine in the uh, the outfield, and uh, I'm a big fan of Verdugo and what he's been doing for the Dodgers as of late. So this is a team that's been playing some very good baseball right now, 25-14, first in the National League West. They have one of the best records in baseball and they seem to be really uh, really rolling on all cylinders. Derby drama. Wow. Okay, so in the Kentucky Derby, maximum security wins the Kentucky Derby. He was the number seven, and he won the race very easily. Very easily in the end. Little challenge, but he kicks back clear. He was the best Horse on the racetrack The only problem is He did commit a foul He impeded a couple different horses In particular the number one War of Will Who was behind him Almost causing War of Hill, uh, War of Will to fall down After clipping heels They made contact with each other Kind of caused a domino reaction From War of Will coming into the long range toddy Bodie Express was also impacted Country House was on the outside And so What After a long Long objection No inquiry There there was a disqualification And the horse country house Who was not affected And did, did have every opportunity To go by maximum security Was second Now The only problem I have with what I just said is We're hearing a lot of people that said Maximum security was best I actually agree for the most part But it's kind of hard to say if he was best when he did impact a couple other horses who maybe they don't win, but maybe at the very least they take a run at maximum security and make him expend a little bit more energy. And maybe it's not even country house that benefits. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe it's a, a code of honor or a horse, you know, one of the other horses who got in a little bit of trouble and were, were able to get out. Maybe they benefit a little bit more from it. I, I don't know, but it, this is a, a really polarizing topic because there's a lot of people that I respect on both sides of the argument. I feel first off the bat that it was a warranted disqualification. I feel that I've been disqualified in situations 
very similar to this where you have the horse who finishes first their best they fit, they end up impeding a horse who ends up running dead last but you have to take the winner and put them dead last because you cost that horse a better placing now there's a lot of drama a lot of different things being said he said she said back and forth back and forth let's go through some of the things that i have written down um i i had a poll on twitter that I asked, do you agree with the disqualification? And here are the options. 100%, yes, I agree. That earned 46% of the vote. Close, but yes, that was 16%. Close, but no, that was 15%. 100% no, that was 23%. So 62 on the yes side, 38 on the no side, but actually 46 of them were saying 100% yes. One thing that we've been hearing a lot is this is a foul, but you're not supposed to call that in the Kentucky Derby. But I've I've seen a lot of people say things like, uh, when, why and when did the rules for the Kentucky Derby change? Why are they different? I didn't know that. It's kind of an understanding that you know you don't want to call a foul at the in a big game or to decide a game. But fouls are called in all sports, right? Like players are shooting free throws at the end of an NBA game with five seconds left or with two seconds left all the time when a foul is called. How about in the NFL? They blew a big call that impacted. I'm a Rams fan in the Rams Saints game this year. That was a missed call. But although that doesn't have anything to do, and I personally don't think that had anything to do with the time of the game, that it was late in the game. I just think that was just a bad call. They missed that. They just missed that call. Um, it's not anything goes, right? In the Derby, Maximum was the best, but he did commit a foul. Just as a as someone who handicaps and watches a lot of replays and plays a lot of horses back off of their previous race and if they got in trouble and how they ran, I'd absolutely play War of Will back because I feel like he did get impeded. Maybe even long-range toddy if the circumstances were right. There were a couple other horses behind him who also may have been impacted I'm usually the one who's siding against the track. So I've I've had some people that I've kind of gone back and forth with and debated and they've said, Gino, you're sticking up for the racetrack. But for for the record, I don't get paid by anyone in any of the industry. I don't have any ties to anything and I have no reason. And I've actually kind of always been that way. Even when I was at TVG, so one of the things when I was leaving is that I didn't like being told who to bet, why I should talk, why I should bet this horse. And, you know, I wanted to, to bet who I wanted to bet. I wanted to do this. And it wasn't like I was told that very often or really ever um, much at TBG, but I, I like um, being able to express my opinion in in particular in a, a gambling, you know, sense when you're talking about horse racing. So I'm always sticking up for the better when, if you follow me on social media, if you ever hear any of the previous podcasts or the Mike Abadir show, I'm always the one saying, I don't trust racing to do this. I don't trust racing to do that. They need to do this. They need to do that. There's lots of changes. The betters are getting screwed. I don't know. Like, I don't like what's happening here. Why is this happening? I, I just, I agree with this call. They made a disqualification on Friday in the Kentucky Oaks for an incident at the start. And there have been a lot of people that have been saying, do you know they don't make disqualifications for things that happen to start or really early on in the race, but they just did. It's hard to be upset with someone or with the stewards when I believe they've made the right calls now. 
I think in the past they've probably been a little lenient in big races when many, many horses in big races could have been disqualified for bumping around um, or you know coming over, and they and they didn't get taken down. And I don't think the stewards wanted to make this disqualification. I think once the jockeys' objection signs were went up, once the jockeys objected, and they had to replay and really review the race. It was just difficult for the stewards not to make that call, right? I don't think they make the call. They obviously the, the race was going to go official if there's no objection. I thought. I didn't think they, you know, they didn't ever post a stewards inquiry sign. That's something that frustrates a lot of people, and I agree. Once they're looking at the race now, then put your put your stewards inquiry sign up at least because we've been. We've been conditioned to believe things that were not what was happening on Saturday. That's what is upsetting a lot of people. And I'm in agreement with you on that. Everything that was handled was handled poorly. There was not the right information given out. There was not enough information given out. There were only the top couple horses blinking. We didn't know how many horses were involved in the inquiry, in the uh, objection and who, who were involved in the incident. We knew very little. And then even after... We didn't even know that John Court made an objection also. So everybody just thought this was Flavian Pratt's fault. And they the stewards came out afterwards. They had a small press conference that is not a press was not a press conference. They just released a statement where they they just mentioned what happened. They mentioned there were multiple objections and they did not answer any questions. The thing that I don't like is there were so because John Court objected, there were multiple objections. So now it's Flavian Pratt who had said, "This is a, in a DRF article from Steve Anderson." As the field, uh, D, uh, Anderson said, as the field gallop out, Pratt lodged an objection. "Quote: I thought about what happened, and that was no, and that there was no inquiry. I thought it was the right thing for all the connections of the horse to let the judges know something has happened and for them to look at it." So Pratt lets them know. Pratt's not the one making the inquiry and uh, and making or making the disqualification. He's not making any decisions. He made the, he made the objection, but John Court also made an objection. And I think that was huge and that was a bit of information that was left out. So there's a ton of hate out there for Country House and for Pratt and for Mott when they were the second place finisher. These are the rules of horse racing because there's no way, better way to do it like in this particular instance, right? In these rules, if you're going to adopt different rules, which some people are pushing for, we'll get to that in just a minute, then that's different. But on these particular rules, if you impede or foul someone, how do you not get disqualified or at least placed behind them? What would happen in a track and field race if you impede someone or a crossover in your lane? You're disqualified. Obviously, the rules are different. And this is the derby. That's what we've been hearing. They did nothing wrong, though. Country House, Pratt, Mott. This was a foul. This was a foul that was committed by maximum security. They benefited as many do every day in racing. They were second best. They beat 18 other horses. And if it was not maximum security that was going to win that race, it was Country House, who was the next horse. He was the next most deserving winner in there. I mean, there were other horses who behind him had trouble and maybe ran, quote unquote, better, tougher races. We project them to run better next time. But I think going forward, Country House might be an inflated price because of this. There's just a lot of hate out there out there for him. Flavian Pratt was getting booed when he came to Santa Anita on Sunday, the day after winning, winning, finishing second, getting put up, but winning the Kentucky Derby. 
seen people out there talking about the idea of a 20 horse starting gate. I, I like that idea or the idea of going down to 14 horses. That's fine. 20 horses is a lot with the turns, with the traffic, uh, with young horses. Also just a lot, a lot happening, not in probably the safest. If, uh, if we're going to be ruling on, on the side of safety from now on, if that's going to be something that after this weekend with the, the DQs and the Oaks and the Derby, if we're going to be ruling on the side of safety, then maybe we need to take steps to make it a little more safer with only 14 horses or maybe a better starting gate that will make things a little, uh, a little safer. I think what people are having a tough time with in this particular debate is you can say multiple statements can be true, right? Maximum security was a really good, good horse on, on Saturday. And he was deserving of being the Kentucky Derby winner. I hate to see what happens. The winner being taken down in a big race. I hate to see it, but it does happen. It doesn't matter why maximum security did what he did, right? Was it him reacting to a puddle, a flash, a glare, the crowd noise, whatever it was. I don't blame this on the jockey at all. Saez, I don't think he did any, I don't think he, this was intentional. I don't think he was personally trying to, to put a horse down or trying to drift out. John Court quote was quoted as saying that the young rider's just a little too aggressive. He actually mentioned Tyler and Saez by name, Tyler Gaffleon and Saez by name. Uh, but I, I, I feel for the connections because, you know, I, I was not on maximum security. He he ran a lot better than I expected him to. He put a lot of horses away. He established the lead in very quick early on, slowed things down in the middle part of the race, was able to um, shrug off challenges late, but I think he did take out some of his challengers. He did impede some of his challengers. Now the, the verbal back and forths have gotten interesting, right? Because people were asking, why didn't Tyler Gaffleon launch an objection? What happened was Tyler came back and he told Mark trainer, Mark Cassie, I almost went down. Mark Cassie said to him, it's not worth it. If we were seventh, we were seventh. If we were fourth, third, second, we would have been claiming a foul in an instant. But if I claim foul on my friend, when he's talking about trainer Jason service on uh, the big ruins, the biggest accomplishment of his life. So he says that he thought it was a foul, but he didn't want to claim a foul to ruin an accomplishment on his friend's on a big accomplishment on what would have been the biggest, you know, one of the biggest days of his friend's life. I, I, it's, it's frustrating as a better to hear that. You know, I think a lot of us might probably do the same thing. It kind of depends on your personality, right? Because Bob Baffert said, you know, he wouldn't have objected. And I actually believe Baffert. What's funny though, is it's hard to, to, to take, I, I'm a big fan of Baffert, but it's hard to take this particular statement because he is a trainer for the Wests who are the owners of Maximum Security. So as Baffert being loyal, he's sticking up for his owners, for owners that, you know, he has a lot of horses with and has had many with through the years. So, but, but Baffert, you know, he didn't take uh, Florence Rue off Roadster even after Omaha Beach scratched, and we saw other Kentucky Derby connections willing to do that. So Baff- it, Baffert's a little different. It's just the way your personality is too, right? And Baffert's won a couple derbies, so he probably wouldn't be the type to call an objection. He said a lot of his horses have been impeded and, and bumped around. And there's you know smart people on both sides, like Andy Byer writing big articles about how 
He thinks it's a foul, but they shouldn't have taken him down, which I like I can't I have a tough time with that because if you say you think it's a foul, I can't go with the it's the derby it well it's the derby this is the way it's always been. Especially I I'm I hate the inconsistencies, right? Byron at the starting gate years back is one that everybody brings up or people will bring up specific um instances or inquiries. But just over the weekend in the two big races, it seemed like they made calls that they probably wouldn't have in the past. So is that because of what's been happening at Churchill Downs and Santa Anita and the bad publicity and they maybe just want to get ahead of that and make sure nothing happens? Because well, how bad would it have been if if and they did didn't, but the difference between what happened on Saturday and War of Will actually going down was not a lot. If he's a bigger horse and a horse who's not quite as agile, maneuverable, athletic, he might go down. And what kind of a a, a just incident would that be? That would be horrible. We would have multiple horses go down, jockeys down on the biggest stage when everyone's watching. So I, when people are talking about how this is bad for horse racing right now, this is not good for horse racing. I think it's great. Everybody's talking about it. Nobody got hurt. Some people lost some money, which is very unfortunate, but everyone seems to be safe, healthy. Nobody got injured. And this is like any controversial call in any sport, right? We debate it for a while. On a normal year, uh, a national scale, the Kentucky Derby winner or the results of the Kentucky Derby are announced on a show. And that's really it, right? Nobody's really talking about what happened in the Derby until the Preakness, they'll announce the Preakness results. And then leading up to the Belmont, everyone, if there's a, a chance for a triple crown, everyone will be excited. We've already found out, unfortunately, that there will be no chance for a triple crown this year because both Maximum Security and Country House are not pointing to the Preakness. Country House is sick right now. And when people are asking or people are saying, oh, you know, I- I'm seeing a lot of, yeah, he's scared or his connections are dodging or this or that. He had to run a lot to get into the, the Derby. He didn't have the necessary points, so he had to run, you know, a couple times over in Louisiana. Then he also had to run over at Oaklawn, so he had to run a little bit extra just to be able to get in. After the Mark Cassie comments, right, where he sticks up for his buddy, the connections of Maximum Security, they go nationally onto different shows and blast Tyler Gaffleone. They say that it's all War of Will's fault, it's all Tyler Gaffleone's fault. The, um, and so now Mark Cassie's very upset because he was trying to, to stick up for his friend by not objecting. And now those connections have gone and thrown him under the bus. So there is a lot of back and forth going on. And I think a lot of people are excited to see war of will, maximum security country house run next, especially if it was in a race when they're all going to be able to be against each other, that would be excellent. So we'll hope for that. And we'll hope What's nice is I think people at least are starting to know the names of these horses. That's one of the big issues, I think, in racing. People don't know the names of a horse, and as soon as they get to know the name of a horse, they retire. But now at least Country House, Maximum Security, War of Will, these names are being talked about quite a bit. They're out there. And now Mark Cassie's very upset, as he should be, you know, after they came back and tried to spin it on on War of Will and Mark Cassie and Tyler Gaffleone after he did the opposite. I think this is unfortunate. It's not tragic, right? Because there were no injuries where War of Will could have easily gone down. No, I don't think there's any purposeful action from Saez. 
um, nothing, um, um, you know, malevolent related in here. Uh, the horse probably reacted to what was a couple of a, a few different things. Um, the owners, the trainers, the horse, they they were very well prepared. They were very good, and they were deserving. But and, and the betters that lot that had him, it was a good call. You were on. You were deserving of winning. But this does happen, right? And I think what's been upset another factor that's upsetting people. Lots more people have lost money than won money, right? Because this is a paramutual game, so the same amount of money is being paid out. The track takes their percentage, and then everything's between you and I. We're betting against each other, and the track takes the percentage out of that. So, it's not like the track was able to keep more money because Maximum Security won. But less people that won with Country House got paid out more. More people would have been paid out less with maximum security. And that's why I think so many people are upset that had this horse involved in some way. I'd be mad too. I have been upset when this happens. It takes me a few days. I get over it usually because those are the rules at the at right now. Now, do the rules need to be changed? There are lots of experienced, intelligent people on different sides. For example, a couple of jockeys, right? Richard Migliori said it was a BS call. He disagrees completely. Kent DeSormo and Gary Stevens both say 100% the correct call based on the the current rules. Gary Stevens is trying to push for new rules right now, and they've been really good on Twitter, uh, all of them, and answering questions and being very upfront about their thoughts and why and this and that. really helps you learn quite a bit. Kent DeSormo had a great interview on TVG the other day. Check it out if you didn't. He was sitting on set, I believe, with Christina and Scott. And it was very knowledgeable. He talked about the different jurisdictions, different rules. And we're talking about, you know, all-time greats here that, that are chiming in, right? And so, you know, you have Baffert and you have Bayer and you have like Migliori who have said one thing. So, and you have, you know, Stevens and you have DeSormo who are on the other side. Really, really been pretty split. And the conversation Wednesday night going into Thursday is still out there. Still people debating back and forth um, what how they feel. I thought Kent uh, made a couple really good points. He he said he should have been a disqualification, but finding the horse to put him behind was, or the horses to put him behind was probably the toughest decision because you know you had to to say okay. Long range toddy, was he tiring? Was he making his move? Was he backing up? What was happening there? Kent also said, which I thought was pretty funny, it's not legal to speed on Christmas Day. So what do y'all want? A day to purge? Talking about how, you know, it's the biggest day of the year. That doesn't mean there's no rules on the Derby. It's because they have not always made a disqualification in the Derby. That does not mean it's been right. You don't want to continue to make bad calls just because you have. The big question. Will this create change? Right? I think the the common denominator from everyone is we want consistency. The people that are upset about this are upset that they've had it seen many races before where things like this haven't been called. Or where in the Derby in particular, or in big races where this hasn't been called, right? So we need to see some consistency. Will they push for the new international rules? We'll find out. Those rules are also a little different because they're a little speculative, but they, from everything I've read and everyone that, that talks about them, they seem to be to be very good. They seem to get less uh, 
type of response like this to a disqualification uh, than than we do when we DQ horses. We have some bad ones. There was another bad one over the weekend at Santa Anita. Go look at the disqualification that happened just a few races after. It was awful. Horrible. If you look at the Kentucky Derby disqualification and then you look at the one that happened on Saturday just a few races after at Santa Anita, you're going to think that the Kentucky Derby one was a great call compared to the Santa Anita one because that was a bad call. Right now, the horse is probable for the Preakness. Win, win, win. Improbable. War of Will. Bodie Express. Always mining. Another twist of fate. Bourbon War. Laughing Fox. Owendale. Signalman. Of those that I've seen, just early, early quick thoughts. Um, improbable. War of Will would probably be horses I would play back off their races. Bourbon War would probably be my top selection. I, I really think he. Was a little unlucky at Gulfstream Park. He's a late runner, so he needs a little pace up front to run at. And look at how well the horses from Gulfstream Park performed in the Kentucky Derby. In the uh, the horses from the Florida Derby. With maximum security and code of honor running really well in there. So I think, Bordy, uh, I think Bourbon War is very live. We'll talk all about the Preakness and we'll do a full-on Preakness preview. Probably we'll just do like a few of the Friday stakes races and... In with the Saturday preview So maybe we'll just do them all together With the, the Saturday races and we'll hope for, for No rain but we'll try to do the same type of thing Like a full Saturday card preview For the Preakness Unfortunately the last you know What 15 years 20 years or so The Preakness cards have Have been hurt and lacked a little bit By Just the the way that the climate In, in Horse racing has become and, and not running horses as often. So what, ad, what ends up happening a lot of the time is, even in the in the undercard stakes races and in the Derby, you know you get you get all, all the best horses on Derby and Oaks Day and undercard. Then they don't generally wheel back two weeks later anymore, but they will come back and run on the undercard at Belmont. So then the Belmont undercard is usually awesome, usually really really good. Okay, final segment of the show, folks. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Going to talk a little Game of Thrones here. Wow, just two episodes left now after this most recent one. The episode opened up with the the deaths on the battlefield. And we see Danny giving a kiss goodbye to Jorah. Sansa saying her goodbye to Theon. It's the, it's, um, it's a funeral. It's the burial, uh, they're burning the Not the burial, but they're burning the bodies John comes out and speaks um, Says some words about everyone And how they'll always be remembered for how they saved The living Then we go to A, a dinner They're at a feast, and then at the beginning of the feast It's kind of a little bit somber because they just had The the funeral Ceremonies, and We see Gendry He's going to go to look for Arya But Daenerys stops him And she crowns him Lord Gendry Baratheon of Storm's End So everybody starts to celebrate As Gendry is now a lord And uh, so the the Dinner and the party and everyone Starts really drinking and celebrating But through all of this You see Sansa giving the Evil eye to Danny. she does not like Daenerys, she is Just always Watching her, and we've seen that Sansa Has learned a lot from what she went through with Littlefinger, with Ramsay, with Joffrey. And we hear from Bran. Bran uh, <laughs> talks about how he doesn't want to be the Lord of Winterfell anymore. 
He's always living in the past. Big cheers for Danny, the queen of the dragons who saved him. Arya and John get big cheers. Everyone's getting drunk. They're having chugging contests. Tormund is the life of the party. He's uh, having fun with John. They're getting him real drunk. We have uh, Jamie and Brienne. They're getting drunk with Tyrion. And they're playing some drinking games where they're starting to get flirty. And we see kind of an awkward question that leads Brienne to leave. Tor- Tormund is telling stories about why they follow John. And Daenerys is watching the people and how much they love John and how they look at him with, you know, admiration. And he is their king. And Varys is watching it all. And, sh- and Varys sees Danny seeing John and he sees the way the people are responding to John. And you could see the wheels kind of turning in, in Varys's head. The drinking game with Tyrion and Jamie being buddy buddy. With uh, Brienne, she walks off, and as she gets up to walk off, Tormund goes to talk to her, kind of get flirty with her. She doesn't seem interested in Tormund, so Jamie follows her, and Tormund's upset. You know, he's been talking about the how he he's loved Brienne now for a while ever since he saw her, but he quickly finds a suitable replacement as uh, one of the uh, the women say, "I'm not afraid of the the wildlings." So Tormund. Has a smile on his face and he finds some company The hound turns one of the women down But not Pod the sex god Pod, you see Pod in the back He has two ladies, one on each arm Pod is ready to rock and roll Love, really love Every time the hound's on the scene uh, On the screen though, right now He is just excellent He always, uh, he has chemistry I feel like With, with almost everyone that he uh, has major interactions with And his interaction with Sansa Where he tells her that he would have Protected her all along if she would have Come with him and she wouldn't have had to, to Go through what she went through and she Actually responds that These experiences have, have Shaped you know kind of shaped me They've helped me become who I am And he can tell like he He said with Arya too she's different You know she's changed Um Gendry goes looking for Arya to tell her now he's a lord. She's alone. She's like the only one not celebrating as she's shooting arrows and she's practicing for uh, for what's next, for who she's going after. He proposes. He tells her he loves her. She kisses him, and then she turns him down. She says, I'm not a lady. I never have been. Then she leaves. Gendry is left alone. Oh, kill her. Poor Gendry. Jamie follows Brienne to her room. He comes in with the wine. He is putting on the full court press. He's trying to pretend like they didn't finish playing the game. I've done these things before, Jamie. Come on, man. You can it's like it's funny when you, when you can see someone else just really laying it on thick and um he's trying to seduce her. He he tells her um, about torment and she mentions that sounds like he's jealous and he's he pulls the wow it's hot in here starts to take his shirt off um and at that point she admits that she's never been with anyone before and we see the two of them have uh for the first time you know have sex and have an inter uh, intimate interaction after they've been really one of the better i think i uh one of the 
the more fun relationships throughout as we've seen Jamie and his arc and how he's kind of changed and gone up and down and from bad to good, maybe back to bad, back to good. We'll see. Um, we then flash to Danny and John. They're in their room. Danny walks in. John is drunk. She asks him. He goes, no, he gets up. He's stumbling around. They start to get intimate for a minute, but they stop because they're, you could tell that they're both thinking about something else. And in particular, Danny, she can't stop thinking about how John is supposed to be now the true king. She asks him not to tell anyone about who he really is, his true identity. She says, I'm begging you. And she's crying, but then her tone shifts and she becomes aggressive and demanding. Jamie looks he's lying in bed after when Bran's asleep and he's kind of looks like he's thinking about what he's done and it doesn't look like he's happy with what has happened Danny and uh, her cabinet they start to plan their their next attack they're going over um the troops their numbers who's left and they're planning for their attack on Cersei and in that meeting Sansa uh, Sansa and Danny really get into it there's a lot of tension between the two of them Arya tells John quickly after when they're having a meeting that we don't trust your queen. It's a meeting with the Starks, John, Sansa, Arya, and Bran. And John has Bran tell the girls what Danny just asked him not to, who he really is. He makes them swear to keep a secret. Sansa says she doesn't want to, but then she agrees. And then immediately, Sansa tells the secret, like right after. Because of that in just a second, we flash to see Tyrion and Jamie talking about Bran. Tyrion gr- grossly asks her what she liked down there, and Jamie's like, "No, nah, I'm not gonna tell you that, man." Tyrion's like, "I haven't been with anyone in a while. Come on, man." Um, and then Bron, Tyrion's old buddy Bron, who uh, who saved his life on many accounts, he enters with his crossbow. Because he's been paid in full to kill Tyrion and Jaime. He's now working for Cersei. Or he, has, he hasn't been paid yet, but he's been told he will be paid in, fil- in full if he kills them. But he comes in, he punches Tyrion in the nose. He's a little more aggressive than we've ever seen him before. And there, his last few interactions with Tyrion, you could tell he was saying things like, um, when have you ever risked your life for me? You know, they, they're, they had a good, fun relationship, but um, I think Braun understood what it was is that he was getting paid and he has a quote where he, he punches Tyrion in the nose and he says, you know, kill a few hundred people. They'll make you a Lord, kill a few thousand. They make you a King. He strikes a deal with Tyrion then because he actually doesn't believe in Cersei. He thinks with the dragon, um, that Tyrion is more likely on the winning side. So he makes a deal with him and, just not the the friendly brawn that we've been used to seeing. We get a great interaction between Arya and the Hound. They run into each other as everyone's getting set to head over to King's Landing to uh, to surround the gates and to maybe start their attack on Cersei. The Hound wants to go alone. Arya wants to go alone, but they end up running into each other right as they're leaving, and they they go end up going together, and they have just I guess great chemistry. The Hound really has with everyone, and um. RC, uh, Arya's, on, RC, Arya's on the way to kill Cersei uh, The Hound's hopefully on the way to kill the mountain And they just both want to be alone But they have uh, someone there watching their backs He even asks Arya if, uh, if she would leave him to die again And she says, yes, 
and they both have a good laugh. They both mentioned that they don't plan on coming back. So they, they're planning on, you know, big, big battles and, and maybe risking their lives. Tyrion and Sansa, we have uh, an interaction where he is trying to tell her to follow Danny. He can see now that she is, you know, everyone can see that she is, is not responding well to Danny. And immediately, Sansa tells the secret that she's not supposed to tell him. She says, you know, who John really is. And th- then we see some goodbyes. We see John and Tormund a goodbye where uh, John actually gives Tormund this direwolf to take. He gives him ghost to take, which is kind of, which is really sad and not even that great of a goodbye from John to, to, uh, to ghost, but Tormund is so funny. He's making cracks about John's size and this and that, and flying on the dragon. He, when he's talking about earlier in the night, why he followed him as the King, because this guy got up on the dragon and he, j- he has just become such a great, great character over the last few seasons. We see, uh, Sam, Saying goodbye to John and Sam is expecting. Um and they said they will call him John if it's a boy. Tyrion telling Varys about John's true identity, and Varys is no longer believing in Danny. Tyrion is uh, Tyrion's obviously skeptical too. We see them plotting, not necessarily plotting, but talking about how John would be the better king. And they know now that. There's a group of people that know about this, and it's not necessarily just a small secret anymore. All the Starks know. John knows. Obviously, Danny knows. Sam knows. Tyrion and Varys know. That's plenty. We see the Unsullied with Daenerys and the dragon and Tyrion and Masande. They, Grey Worm, they are making their way as kind of the first troops. To surround King's Landing in what may be an attack on Cersei, they're on the uh, they're coming over on boats where Jon Snow is coming with the rest of the army, and they get attacked by Euron Greyjoy, and down goes a dragon. One of the dragons gets killed pretty easily. I, there have been a lot of people upset with some things that have happened in the episode, the Starbucks cup. <laughs> they left the Starbucks cup on the on a table that we saw in the background, which is. Pretty crazy that nobody caught that. I mean, that that's absurd. But Euron, what a big moment for someone who has now kind of become a huge character on the show as he kills a dragon. We know that the 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 Greyjoy fleet is awesome on the their great navy. They're awesome on the water. So they are just destroying um what little troops the Unsullied and and well, I guess a few of the Dothraki and some of the, the troops that uh, they initially brought for for their first like line of defense. Everybody ends up you know, swimming to shore. We find out that they've captured Masande and Euron, we see, telling Cersei about killing the dragon. She's very happy. She tells him that she's preggers with his baby, which we know that it's not his baby because she was preggers before anything happened with him. But now she's going to sell him on that. Does he believe her though? He believes her then. He's very happy about it. Kyburn looks uh <laughs> something from binge mode. Kyburn looks over and uh um and lets Euron know that she is pregnant. 
and we see that they've captured Masande, and then we see more of a, a Varys trying to talk Danny out of killing innocent people. She does not want to budge. She just seems like she wants to go blow everything up right away with the dragon, kill everyone, and just take the city. And she is seemingly just a different person right now. She's got more rage in her eyes than we've ever seen before. And we continue to see more about Varys and Tyrion talking about Jon Snow and how he should be king. Jaime is spending what looked like his second night with Brienne. And after she fell asleep, he gets up. He's trying to sneak out. And she catches him. And it's a really sad scene be because Brienne is crying. We've never really seen this side of her. She's been very tough and not we, we know that she's been in love, but we we haven't seen her this vulnerable before. And he tries to sneak away. She catches him. She begs him to stay, and his response is, No, you don't know who I am. He talks about how he killed Bran. How he struggle, uh, strangled his cousin And how he would murder everyone For Cersei because he is in love with Cersei Then he leaves Where is he going? What is he going to do? Is he going to fight for Cersei? Is he going to fight against Cersei? We see Danny and Tyrion And Varys They are outside of King's Landing They are there with no Jon And with not a lot of army quite yet Just the Unsullied Not a big fleet Cersei and Euron are at the top of the gate So it's a little bit of a standoff They have Masande captured And she's right there at the top with them Tyrion and Kyburn, the advisors Go to meet in the middle to speak neither, neither will surrender They're both saying either side wants them to surrender Nobody will Tyrion starts to approach the gates to speak to Cersei He asks her to surrender He talks about her kid He mentions her being pregnant Will that be key? Because if Euron is to believe it's his kid How would Tyrion know? Tyrion only knew What had happened That she was pregnant because we know that Previously she was So if Euron's able to put two and two together Is that something that he's going to figure out? Is that something that we'll find out in the next couple episodes? Because there are only two left And Cersei Looks at the mountain the, Waves him over And they kill Masande right there You see Danny very upset Walking away And I think she is ready to go full Mad Queen And burn things down So just a couple episodes left I personally I've been enjoying The the season I know a lot of people have been upset saying it's not quite as good As they expected or they've not Liked some things here and there Um, But I've been I've been thoroughly entertained throughout And I've enjoyed Enjoyed everything it's just It's so hard to put a close on a world That's been so big for a while And it seems some things feel like They get kind of shortchanged. Other things feel like um, Maybe they're getting Too much time for something that's not quite that Important but I'm excited for Just two more Episodes of Game of Thrones folks Okay Thank you everyone appreciate you Tuning in again if you can please Big favor Five star reviews on uh, and comments, ratings, reviews over on iTunes. They really help me move up the charts. They'll help compare to other shows. Um, they'll help make me more money in the end. And it'll never cost you anything. All you have to do is just go click five star and leave a little comment. Say what you like about the show, uh, something positive if you can. Appreciate it, folks. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of That's What G Said. We will have uh, likely 
a an episode coming out this weekend. We'll catch up on everything in the sports world. Maybe we'll give out a, a horse or two and then expect full Preakness podcast. Also, one more thing. If you're interested in sponsoring uh, on That's What G Said, many different ways to do so. Very affordable. You can start with a really, really cheap commercial for just 60 seconds, anything up to two minutes. Um, you can sponsor a full show. We can do things where um, where if you have a you know, a product you want to promote, you can purchase, you know, exclusive content. I can help with social media videos, things like that, but contact me. Let me know. I always want to discuss everything uh, with everyone and make sure they're products that I know that I trust and uh, would love to work with any of you out there that are interested. Make sure to go to iTunes and everywhere else. Subscribe for me, folks. That's what G said. Joey, what's up?